Now this is going to make for an amusing diversion. Will you send him to prison for eternity? Or will you assist in his suicide plan? That's a toughie. But then again, that's why they made you captain, isn't it? To handle the real tough ones. My, my. Now I guess we get to find out whether the pants really fit. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Stuart Hollis. I'm Thad Haight. This week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 18, Death Wish. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll continue living and do this episode. <laughs> okay. It originally aired on the 19th of February, 1999, and was written by... It was... The story was by Sean Piller, who was Michael Piller's then 23-year-old son. Uh, the teleplate was by Michael Piller. Uh... They had the producers had been trying to come up with an, a way to bring Q onto Voyager for a while, but they wanted to make it make sense and not make it seem like Q just happens to visit only the ships we see on on Star Trek. Mm. And Sean Piller overheard uh, overheard his father talking about this and pitched this idea. He wanted to write the teleplay too, but. His father didn't want to play favorites, and since he had no had never written a teleplay before, and they wouldn't let someone else write a teleplay that had never written a teleplay before for Voyager, he couldn't let him do it. Huh. Well, who directed it, then? It was directed by James L. Conway, who was... is a veteran Star Trek director. We've talked about him before. Cool beans. Our synopsis from TV Guide. Two cues appear on Voyager, one wishing to be allowed to kill himself the other seeking to prevent the suicide by imprisoning his fellow Q for eternity. Okay. Memory Alpha says, A member of the Q continuum comes aboard Voyager seeking asylum so he can commit suicide. Q arrives on board to stop him, leaving Captain Janeway to mediate a moral dilemma. The only real nitpick I have with the um, Memory Alpha one is that he doesn't come aboard Voyager? He's brought He's aboard, brought aboard yeah. Voyager. It's a, you know, small pedantic difference, but mm. if if our listeners weren't here for the pedantry, then I don't know what they're here for. If they at least weren't originally here for the pedantry, I'm amazed that they've stayed. Hmm. Uh, so, interestingly, the this episode is one of 12 total Q appearances on Star Trek, and mm-hmm. it, it, this is one of four that does not have a Q pun in the title. Oh. How many... Episodes will have Q on Voyager 3? Yes. And the other two will have coupons. Those are those things you take down at the grocery store, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Just to add another terrible pronunciation of that word into the... Uh, you could use a coupon for a Q-tip. Yes. No, 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 no. no. Th- those are what he pays to waitresses. Ah, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> this episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, we open with Voyager scanning a comet... And they're saying it's kind of behaving erratically, so maybe it's not a comet, but then Jacote tells us... And yet it looks, feels, and tastes just like a comet. And I'm just wondering, what the, like, when did Jacote take a minute to fly out to the comet to lick it? it? He did it a little bit ago. You don't know. They probably lost a shuttle in the process, though. Of course they did. <laughs> you know, that's something they could have asked one of the cues to do while they were there. It's like, hey... Did you restock our torpedoes in Shuttle Bay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm actually a little surprised that... I mean, although Q1 does dangle Earth in front of Janeway, I'm like a little surprised that she didn't 
ask either of them for like you know like the immediate instant trip home well uh that was a that was a consideration when with bringing Q onto Voyager because like well the problem with that is how do we explain that he doesn't bring Voyager home and John Delancey's response to that was simply well why would he right no exactly it's, it's like but I feel like she should have at least asked and maybe mm. by writing in that he had dangled it and she's like no I'm not going to like like let you buy me off it is like her way of also like not then asking mm. this will not be the only time that he dangles it for to try to influence Janeway. Of course not. He's Q. So they, uh, you know, they're scanning the comet and they decide they want to take a core sample because it's behaving in a weird way and they're explorers and scientists and it's not like they have anywhere else to be. <sighs> so this this comet behaving in a weird way is actually a re- reuse of a comet behaving in a weird way in a TNG episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did that one also have a Q inside? No, that one had an alien presence that took over data. So okay, yeah that 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 that's some strong um, story reuse though. Yes. Well, goodness. There's a bit of a difference between masks and Death Wish. I'm sure there is, but just the idea of like you know an erratic comet that then does have a life form inside. Well, it wasn't technically a life form in that case. It was like a pro. It was a probe sent out from a dead from a now dead alien race. Whatever. Anyway. Erratic comets. But yes, yes, you, you're right. There, there is a similarity. So they beam a core sample to where else? Transporter room two, naturally. And instead of being a core sample, it's a man in a Starfleet uniform. How did he? I wondered that. Like, I, I it would have been different if he had appeared, like taken a quick look, and then like done his weird hand gesture. Yeah, that would have made more sense. Yeah, like, perhaps, like, as he was, like, stepping through the force field. Mm-hmm. That could have been cool. But, whatever. Janeway hears there's a Q on board, calls for red alert. She's no dummy. Yeah. Well, at this point, they don't know it's not Q. Well, yeah, no, but, you know, as far as they know, there is Q, and Q is no good. Yeah. So, you know, better to be overprepared. Mm-hmm. And then Q transports himself and Janeway to the mess hall. I think it was right around this time that Jonathan Frake's name flashed up on screen as being part of this episode. And I immediately, and once the, once Q had then like transformed one of the regular dining tables into like a more ornate thing with fancier chairs, I was really hoping to see Riker sit in one of those fancy chairs. (laughs) Sadly, that didn't come to pass. Mm. We do get, we do get a little more evidence that my theory that they don't eat meat in Starfleet is wrong because he no, brings up No, it's not. Okay. Welsh rabbit is not rabbit. Oh, never mind. Haha. <laughs> and it's it's interesting to juxtapose Welsh rabbit and a fancy table cuz Welsh rabbit is sort of like a is it peasant food? Yes. It's cheese, it's bread with melted cheese and sauce on top. Okay. Well, I I mean, you know, the you know, the Australians have fairy bread. Yeah. Which is what? Just like, you know, toast and butter and sprinkles? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> so, we we have weird food here, too. Anything that can be put on a stick is put on a stick and then deep fried here in the States. Including so, butter. Yes. <laughs> I saw a video today where they took an entire potato and, like, ran it through a... Uh, 
like those things you get for apples, you know, that they core them yeah, and yeah. Then slice them. Yeah, to to slice the potato with this like long continuous ribbon, basically speared it, spread it out on the ribbon, so it was like still all contiguous, but had like a like one inch spacing, and then fried the whole sucker. I've seen those. Yeah, potato ribbons. Yeah, I've it's had like, them. Yeah, anything that can be put on a stick and deep fried will be put on a stick and deep fried. Mm-hmm. That's true. So anyway, Q Q two is so happy to be here with all the humans who are also mortal. It's interesting that you're calling him Q2, because that's what he was called in the script, too. Well, I don't know what else to call him. <laughs> yeah, they were Q1 and Q2 in the script. Well, but then I noticed in some of the subtitles it was sometimes uh, like Q1, Q2, and uh, like Q Advocate. <laughs> and I think even at a certain point, like Janeway calls for like, you know, like bring the Advocate Q here. I... It's possible. So I've summoned the Advocate Q to make him... Yeah. Anyway. He gives, like, a little speech before he attempts to shuffle off his immortal coil. Nice. And instead makes all of the men on board disappear. I don't know, like, what hand-wavy magic he thought he was doing. He thought he was killing himself. And how it backfired such that all the men disappeared. There apparently is... It's apparently impossible for a Q to kill themselves. Well, yes, but I'm just... I don't know why, but it it was apparently something that was an obvious consequence, because Q immediately knew what had happened. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. I'm just, like, uh, wondering, like, like, why wasn't everyone then, like, dressed in polka dots? Mm, Yeah. Like, why'd all the men disappear, basically? It's like, like, what sort of, like, what thought was going through his head of, like, I'm gonna kill myself, and this time I'm gonna try doing it this way? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. All the men are gone, and we are back on the bridge, mm-hmm. and Q2 is going, hmm, who has more experience with humans? And poof. We get Q. Interestingly, John Delancey is one of six actors to play the same character on three different Star Trek series. Okay. Another one was in this episode, Jonathan Frakes. Uh, mm-hmm. Marina Sirtis, also. Armin Shimmerman. Uh, Michael Ansara, who plays Kang. Richard Poe, who played Galdo Vec, and Mark Allen Shepard, who played Morn. Oh, that's a nice little factoid. Yeah, I thought so. And we got two of them in this episode. That's great. Yeah, I know, right? So, yes, uh, Q sub one has arrived. <laughs> the main thing I take away from this whole episode is that John I mean, Delancey we just was... call them John Delancey and Garrett Graham, too, you know. Yeah, uh, is that John Delancey was very obviously having basically just like the time of his life. Uh, during this whole episode. I mean, that's generally how I see all of John Delancey's appearances as Q. Oh, yeah. But, like, you know, especially, like, when he called himself to the witness stand. Yes. (laughs) Anyway. He brings all of the men back on board after being sexist towards Janeway. Yeah, that was weird. Like, I feel like... it kept happening. Yeah, like, this seems like something that shouldn't be a thing for the more evolved Q. He was written by a 23-year-old? That's true. I mean, I was pretty dumb when I was 23. Mm, I was too. Still, though. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have no idea that Q's sexism is weird and off-putting. Yes. OGQ. Nice. Okay, I like that one. Are you just going to come up with a different one every time, or...? We'll find out, <laughs> won't we? <laughs> Comments on uh, Chakotay's tattoo saying it's a very wilderness yep that's a thing that happened yeah it was weird uh, and then 
We could also just call them Q and Quinn. Ooh, maybe. <laughs> and then Q squared demands asylum. Yes. Which, should you be requesting? Like, if you, I don't know. I, yeah. Didn't Some that antics. happen on Stargate 2? That someone demanded... Yes, yes Apophis. Apophis demanded asylum. Oh, by the way, we have a, a small other reference to Stargate Weekly. I forgot to mention it when talking about Sean Pillar. Uh, mm-hmm. He also contributed to an episode of TNG and the also and the future Voyager episode, The Q and the Gray. There's one of those Q puns I mentioned. Uh, and he's better known as a television producer. He was the co-creator and co-executive producer of The Dead Zone. Ooh. <laughs> ah, that's excellent. Yeah, I thought you'd appreciate that factoid. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit of a Stargate Weekly reference there. Thanks. Uh, so yeah, so he demands asylum. Mm-hmm. And Janeway decides that there will be a hearing yeah. in order to Makes work this all out. Yeah, this is to head off. So Quinn, in order to try to escape from Q, takes them all sorts of places. Uh, yes, he takes them to the birth of the universe, and then he shrinks them down to subatomic size, and then they are a tree ornament. They don't actually show the tree ornament. This was because the Hallmark Voyager ornament had not yet been released. So. So they would have shown, like, a little tiny mock-up of one? Yeah, but it, it didn't exist yet. So they could... But what I'm saying is, like, are you trying to say that they had an active conversation to, let's make a tiny little Christmas tree ornament scale voyager, but we can't because Hallmark hasn't done it yet? No, I don't have any information on whether or not this was intended to be product placement. But what I can tell you is that the Star Trek Voyager Hallmark ornament came out after this episode. Okay. I mean, I'm fine with them not actually showing the ornament. We got the point yeah. without it. Well, it's interesting because, like, it was my headcanon, or my, like, not headcanon, my head belief that we actually saw the ornament in this episode, but then we didn't. And I'm like, what? Because I, I was sure we did see the ornament, but I remembered incorrectly. And I suppose that we should be thankful that it didn't exist yet, because I have to wonder if there would have been some sort of like weird, like shoehorned in line of "you cannot hide from me even in this hallmark moment." Q. <laughs> yes, probably. Yes, yes, because they were in some kind of large plant. Yes, yes, they were. Which I think was uh, Robert McNeil's only line in the whole episode. I believe so. Yeah, Neelix and Kess also got very... Neelix, Kess, Bellana, like Basically, it was it was Tuvok Janeway for most of the episode. Chakotay didn't get much either. Yeah. No, I think the Doctor and Chakotay had about the same amount. Um, Harry and Bellana had about the same amounts, And then Tom, uh, Kess, and Neelix all had the least. Yeah. But they still had a little bit so they could get paid. Gotta get paid. Mm-hmm. So we're there in the hearing, mm-hmm. and Janeway wants everyone to take it very seriously and does not want it to turn into a circus. And I was really kind of hoping... That you for, would turn it into a circus? Or at least, like, summon a juggler or something. Mmm. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah. So, Q calls himself as an expert witness. Mm-hmm. And this is when he starts really having a lot of fun in the episode, I think. Mm-hmm. And then he summons three people from Earth... Yes. ...whose lives... Uh, other Q has touched. They originally wanted to have Michael Jordan, Cal Ripken Jr., Bill Gates, or Frank Sinatra in this episode, but they weren't able to 
get any of that coordinated. Okay. That would have been interesting. Yes. <laughs> Especially if they had all of them. Could you imagine the budget? Oh, boy. <laughs> like, you know, the whole budget for the season, just getting those guys for, like, a day. Yes. It's not like on TNG where Stephen Hawking was, like, super excited to be on Star Trek and didn't want to get paid. Right. Yeah, so they have, um... They have William Riker. Yes. And I have this episode's uniform complaint. Go on. So, Riker recognized Janeway's name, certainly. He didn't necessarily recognize Janeway, but when she introduced him herself, he knew who she mm-hmm. was. Yeah, he yeah. knew she was the captain of the Starship Voyager. We know that Voyager was launched immediately prior to the events of Caretaker. Yes. So, if Riker knew that Janeway was the captain of Voyager... That means this Riker had to Riker had to have been taken from either from sometime between Caretaker and now. Well, and Death Wish. Okay. He's wearing a TNG era com badge. So were they did they upgrade com badges but not uniforms? Yeah, uh generations. They wore both okay. uniforms. They 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 intermixed the uniforms, but they were all wearing the new com badge. Okay. And then, we talked about this before, but on DS9, until they switched to the first contact uniforms, anytime they showed people on a starship or on Earth, they wore the TNG uniforms with the new combat. Hmm. So, Riker's wearing the wrong combat. Because you could... Um, obviously, Hugh took everybody from different time periods. So, if Riker hadn't recognized Janeway, we could say he just took him from TNG. Right. But since he recognized Janeway, he's wearing the wrong combat. Okay. That's, that's some solid deduction there. Well done. Honestly, it's a curse. I don't want to complain about uniforms every week. Sure you don't. <laughs> the pip pedantry shall never die. So, I have all sorts of notes on this episode. Um, which is Whoa. something... Yeah, I know, this right? Is... <laughs> so, <laughs> let me let, let me do uh, my note about uh, this. Okay. The, these three people they pulled forward. So, they pulled forward William Riker. Uh-huh. Uh, some guy whose name I've already forgotten. He was apparently like a light tech. He was the Maury he was Ginsburg. on the number. Th- what's that? Maury Ginsburg. Yes, him. Uh, who was stranded? His car broke down on the way to Woodstock, and he helped save Woodstock. Woodstock being, of course, obviously the only important concert in the history of ever, which is why it keeps getting referenced in any number of time travel episodes. Yep. Yeah, I, they really need to pick a new one. You know. Um. Is there a bigger one, though? What was that show that Queen played? Glastonbury? Wembley. That was Wembley? Yeah. Yeah, how about that one? How about... Okay, so Woodstock is big because so many bands were there, though. Yeah. Queen at Wembley was just Queen at Wembley. But... It was the largest... It was the... Yes, it had the largest audience of any concert to date. I think it's been surpassed now. But... It was still just Queen. Yeah, but it was a big crowd. Hmm. Queen's a big deal. I'm I'm not saying that Woodstock's not important or anything like that. It just it gets tired when like that's the only thing they latch on to. Hmm. That's true. And their third was Isaac Newton. Yes. And they say that a other cube was sitting under the tree and when he stood up he shook the tree and that caused the apple to fall on isaac newton's head yeah well didn't actually fall on isaac newton's head right and had he not done that then he would then isaac newton could not have led the western world into a new era of understanding 
gravity was only a small part of all the things that Isaac Newton contributed to science. Also, there was Leibniz, who also invented calculus. Yes, but gravity did in not fact, require Newton to also invent calculus. <laughs> in fact, Newton's calculus is wrong. Mm. Newton's calculus requires you to, at certain steps, divide by zero. And only by just, like, accepting that, like, just, like, it's not, like, the final step of the pro- of the operation, but it's part of the process of, of Newton's calculus. And you're sort of, like, close your eyes and just skip it. You just, like, skip past the fact that it's an impossibility to divide by zero, and you arrive at the, at the final answer. Nowadays, the way calculus is taught, we use m- what is more similar to Leibniz's calculus, uh, calculus method. Yeah, I'm... I'll leave all of this to you because I don't understand calculus. I'm not saying like same deal with like me not saying that Woodstock wasn't a big deal. Yeah, but Newton wasn't a like wasn't not a big deal. But yes, and but yeah, and regardless, calculus and gravity are still only two of the things that Newton did. Newton had a long storied career where he did a whole bunch of things. Oh, yeah, no, 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 I know. But it'd be the same thing if, like, instead of Newton, there was Armstrong being like, and if it hadn't been for Q helping Armstrong tie his shoes, mankind would never have walked on the moon. I mean, it's not quite the same thing, because Armstrong truly had no scientific contribution in that. He just... Armstrong didn't do any of the science. Yeah, but... Other people were also doing the science that Newton was doing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get what you're saying, but it's not quite the best analogy. I don't have a better one handy. Fair enough. I don't know if there was any sort of, like, single contributor to, say, like, the Manhattan Project without which it couldn't have succeeded. And I'm also not sure if that's really, like, the best way to go. Oppenheimer, maybe? Like, maybe? But, like, there were, like, I mean, but... It was a it was a small team, but without Oppenheimer, it still would have happened. Yes. probably. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm saying because Armstrong didn't do the science, so it literally would have happened exactly the same way, except maybe not the same quote when he stepped off the lander. Without Armstrong, is what I'm saying. Sure. So anyway, what other notes do you have from the hearing? So Maury Ginsburg was played by Maury Ginsburg. Maybe they tried to give him a different name, and he's like, you just can never remember it. Maybe he's a bad actor. No, uh, they hadn't named the character when they cast him, and they really oh. liked the name Maury Ginsburg. There are people who call me... Tim? <laughs> the original draft had LeVar Burton as Jordy LaForge instead of Jonathan Frakes as Riker. Uh, but LeVar Burton had shaved his head. And this was before First Contact, so the audiences wouldn't have expected Burton with a shaved head. Mmm. So they cast Frakes instead. Because no one other than Janeway is allowed to ever change their hair. Right. (laughs) Uh, Also, Frakes had been lobbying to appear on Voyager. Well, I, I think that, I mean, obviously, with, you know, with the exception of TOS, and so far Discovery, Frakes has been on... Every, like he's been on all the other Star Trek shows. Yes, yes, he has, and he's directed in an episode of Discovery. So yeah, so yeah, he, like <laughs> yeah, he's seemingly like very involved with and very happy with yes Star Trek and Paramount. So. There have still only been three. Uh, it, we still only have it's still the role of three with the same character because he was Thomas Riker on the episode of DS Nine. But yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Uh, but yes, yeah. No, Frakes, I have no objection to Riker being in this episode. I was just commenting that Frakes had been lobbying the producers for a role in Voyager. Oh no, my comment was to say is like I'm like I'm like not at all surprised to hear that he was lobbying to yeah. like appear on Voyager at some point. Like like especially considering the way that he that he shoehorned in on Enterprise. Well, they actually asked him if he wanted to do he did that wasn't his idea. They asked Okay, him, okay, okay. They asked him for that and if he he didn't know it was going to be the series finale oh, excuse me. He didn't know it was going to be the series finale at the time and if he, mm-hmm. and he has later said that if he had known, he would not have taken the role. Yeah, if it if it was just like just some episode in the middle of the season that I don't think different. Yeah, I don't think anyone would well or even like a, or even a season finale instead of series. But I don't think, yeah, there wouldn't be the same objection. But yes, making this... It would make no difference to my overarching theory, though. That Enterprise doesn't really exist, it's just ho- Riker's holodeck? Right, and neither does DS9. Yeah. And neither does Voyager. What? TNG is the only actual modern Star Trek. Okay, so how is Voyager fake? Because Voyager visits Barclay. DS9. No, because Barclay. Oh. Well, Voyager also visits DS9, which is... It also... Yeah, sure, yeah. It also visits (laughs) DS9, which he he got the idea for DS9 from talking to O'Brien. You know, Barkley, some days I'm just down there in Transporter Room 3. (laughs) My mind just starts wandering. I think of what what would it be like if I was the engineer of a whole space station. I'd call it (laughs) Deep Space 12. (laughs) No, too much. Nine... And Barclay's like, God, you know, you're right. That's a good idea. I, I should, I, I should also invent my own secret world. <laughs> I'll use the holodeck. No one would think of that. <laughs> yeah. So okay. Barclay invents Voyager. All right. Riker invents Enterprise, and O'Brien invents DS9. All right. Well, Enterprise still happened, just maybe not exactly the way we saw it, because. When Riker is what he's doing is a historical, like, holo novel for Riker. The historical documents. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of people who lobbied to be on the show. Yes. Uh, John DeLancey and Kate Mulgrew were old friends. And Kate Mulgrew oh. had been lobbying to bring John DeLancey onto Voyager as Q. Well, I mean... I mean uh... Aside from, like, the three or four weirdly, like, creepy sexist scenes, I'm all in favor of... Because Janeway doesn't give Q an inch. No. I will... I I think Q and Picard have slightly better chemistry, but Janeway and Q work very well. Oh, yeah. But it's Janeway. She's amazing. Yes. And I loved the part where Q was talking about and if, you know, Quinn hadn't helped Thaddeus Riker, then I would have missed out on those at least a dozen, dozen really good opportunities to insult. To insult. Yes. <laughs> yes, that was so good. Why was his ancestor's nickname Old Iron Boots? Did he, did he march slow? I don't know. Anyway, I did like uh, Janeway talking to the three people it's like imagine you could travel forward in time yeah she's like like, you're having a very strange dream yeah yeah it's like and she says starship like they're supposed to know what a starship is it's a ship that goes in the stars Hmm. hey you know okay yeah maury ginsburg could have read sci-fi but 
Isaac Newton. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, a sailing vessel for the firmament. <laughs> yes. I mean, Maury Ginsburg would be like, you know that TV show Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> you can't get too self-referential. Referential, you'll break the show. Uh, yeah, so after, um, after we hear uh, Q's reasons for bringing these people forward and why it is so important that um, suicidal Q not be allowed to kill himself, I think Tuvok points out, like, yeah, but he's been in prison for 300 years. So I don't know, like... I don't know what like lesson you're trying to teach here. <laughs> and then they, you know, we, we, we take a break. There's a, there's a recess because Janeway has asked Q Quinn, sorry, has asked Quinn to demonstrate the suffering he's experienced by being immortal and not being allowed to kill himself. Yes. So we get a solid conversation between Tuvok and Q Quinn. Yes. Q Quinn. Q Quinn. <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs> anyway, uh, and and this is the point where Tuvok tells him that he doesn't actually agree with anything that Quinn is saying, but as a Vulcan and his counsel, then he is going to defend him to the best of his abilities. Yeah. And Quinn and Quinn says, "You you surprise me, Mister Tuvok, which is a rare and special gift to a Q. Thank you." <laughs> so then we come back and we get to see what his imprisonment is like. It's very cramped. Yes. Phenomenal cosmic powers. I was just thinking. I was just about to make that same reference. <laughs> yes. Listen. If Gould as Burns works, then Q as Genie works. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> so we now get a chance to see the continuum itself. So this is filmed in Lancaster, California. No kidding. Yeah. Where a good friend of ours lives, along with very few other people. Yes. The real question is, is it actually Lancaster, or is it Lancaster, California? That I'm not sure on. Yeah. The Pennsylvania one is Lancaster. I know the Pennsylvania one is Lancaster. I grew up near there. So this scene in the continuum made me think of the diner that the Ascended hang out in. I was thinking of that, too, yes. Yeah. We're getting all sorts of ties back to Stargate Weekly this week. It's great. So, Quinn uses this as an example to show how no one's doing anything because there's nothing left to do. He's done everything that he can think of. He's, he's been he's the even dog. Pre- he's been the scarecrow. Well, we've all been the scarecrow. Yeah. He should try being the cowardly lion. Yeah. And he, they keep mentioning the new era. Does that... Yeah, I'd love to know what happened before the new era. Well, it was the old era, obviously. Thank you. As far as I know, we never get any information on that. Ah, shucks. Maybe in the Q and the Gray, but I don't think so. Okay. But so, yeah, so Quinn goes on and on about all of this. Um, I think there's also when we find out that at a certain point, uh, Q had even come under the wrath of the Continuum and had been made mortal and been punished for being... uh, TNG episode Deja Q. Ah, okay. I think what was the word? Irrepressible. Yes, that is a de- that is a very good description of Q. Yes, uh, and I really like the uh, exchange between Quinn and Q because Quinn is describing everything that Q had done, and Q is like perking up and being like, "You thought I was cool?" <laughs> yeah, I really liked. Yes. Um, who was the actor again? 
Lee Quinn? Garrett Graham. Okay. I I really liked him in this. Yeah, he was I, very good. I, yeah, I, I liked his delivery on lines. It was just it yeah, it he he was an excellent foil to John Delancey. Yes, he was he was excellent. I very much enjoyed the casting in this episode all around was fine. I mean, it was good, <laughs> not just fine. <laughs> well, uh, I, I mean, there's Maury Ginsburg, and there's I have the nothing, guy playing Isaac Newton. I have nothing to say against them, but yeah, they right, were like, like those are both fine. It's like otherwise, the casting is John Delancey, who who has played the character before, and William Riker and uh, Jonathan Frakes, who's played the character before. So the only new casting, hmm. and we and. Frakes definitely played Riker, as we would expect, because uh, when a woman introduces herself to him, he gets a big grin on his face. Yes. Because he's Riker. Riker got a Riker. We, I don't think we got any leans or or uh, or sitting down from Riker, though. Ooh, that's a good point. I don't even think we got a beard stroke. The lean is apparently because he hurt his back. Yes, the lean is because he hurt his back. Yeah. The sitting down is also because he hurt his back. Oh, okay. The chairs were low. It's was e- It was more comfortable for him to do that than to. Well, sit isn't he normal. also like eight and a half feet tall or something? He's not that tall. He's not a short man. He's he is a tall person, but he is not insanely tall. Uh, <laughs> watch Star Trek: First Contact. In the scene when the Vulcans are landing, he's standing next to James Cromwell, who is head and shoulders above him. Now, granted, James Cromwell is a very tall man. Yeah. But I'm just pointing out that James Cromwell okay, is taller okay. than Riker. I wonder how James Cromwell sits in a chair. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder how James Cromwell puts on a suit jacket. <laughs> well, he was on the West Wing. So. That's why I was, yeah, I was, I was getting there. We're back on Voyager. Mm-hmm. And... Janeway does ultimately come around to the decision that Quinn does deserve asylum. Q protests a little while, and then Quinn reminds him that he made a promise. Mm-hmm. And Quinn has been made mortal. He's very happy. And Janeway tries to says that she hopes he'll consider not dying. Well, not right away. She hopes that he would consider not killing himself, right. or at least like exploring mortality for a little while first. Mm-hmm. And that lasted all of, like, 22 minutes or something, something probably. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, before... Before we have Nogatch Hemlock. Yes. Yes, the The doctor calls Janeway Chakotay down to sick bay because Quinn is dying. Yes. And then Q appears to say that he is the one who had provided the Hemlock to Quinn. Yes, because we learned that the replicators will not make it. That makes sense. Yeah. And the doctor doesn't keep it in stores, which also makes sense. Like, I feel like you should still, like, for insert scientific research reason here, you should still be able to, like, override that in case you actually need it for some sort of project. But, yes, it makes sense that it won't just do it automatically. Well, maybe it is possible to override it, but, like, only with the captain's permission or something. I right. don't know. And there's no point in, like, saying, and the replicators will not produce that unless Janeway gives the order or something like that. Yeah, that's fair. So, yes. So, Quinn dies and that's the end of the episode yeah that's a solid episode no i enjoyed it a lot you know i mean there was a couple of a couple of things that was like at the beginning when 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 quinn had demanded asylum and 
Q had said, well, his one condition is that if Janeway doesn't grant it, then Quinn goes back to eternal confinement. Then Quinn's like, okay, fine, but if she does grant it, I could kill myself. Yeah. And Q is, and then Q is like, haha, what are you going to do now, Captain? Are you going to imprison someone for eternity? He's like, she already has someone in the brig for life. So, Ooh, yes. That's a good point. Granted, it's a little cushier than Quinn's itty bitty living space. Well, she didn't know about the itty bitty living space yet. That's true. I mean, she knew he was inside the comet, but she didn't know, like, how cramped it was. There's no room to play Cardassian Pinochle in that comet. <laughs> I don't even know if you could play Cardassian Pinochle with just one person. A Q could. They're omnipotent. Well, okay, well, what if, like, his powers only work inside the comet? Because then he could, like, produce multiple of himself. Yeah. And then he could play Cardassian Pinochle with himself. Yeah, and surely with some sort of, like, fancy Q, like, space-time bending stuff, he could have, like, a full apartment inside that comet. Mm, okay. But maybe he doesn't have powers at all inside the comet. Immortal, but no powers. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, seriously, like, at that point, like, how do they even know? Like, they had him in prison because he was trying to kill himself, and... Like, at one point, Q had said, like, you're perfectly welcome to lead a normal life if you would just, like, agree to lead a normal life. How would they know? Like, were they checking up on him, like, every hundred years? Like, hey, do you want to still kill yourself? Yep, okay, back in the comet you go. I don't know. Do they have parole hearings? Like... I don't, yeah. Yeah, stop asking questions. Yeah, basically. So you had notes on this. What what, what notes We've do we not have? we covered my notes. I had a lot of notes, but we've talked about them. Fair enough. But I had, like, easily three times as many notes as normal. So you had four notes. <laughs> it, it helped that there were all sorts of interesting production things, like Maury Ginsburg being played by Maury Ginsburg. Well, you know, if you're all out of notes and I'm all out of notes, then I guess we're all out of episode to talk about. There's no more life in this discussion there's no more sign of life in this conversation you're right yeah and speaking of which next week we'll be talking about life signs thanks for listening this week if you enjoyed this you should also check out our other podcast stargate weekly you can find and review both on your podcast player of choice and you can also reach us at our email address deltaflyerpod at gmail.com i'm at gamicus on twitter and i am at tyrannicus and you can follow the show at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah.